Welcome back to the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain. Thank you for returning, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the reading of The Judas Epidemic, Exposing the Betrayal of the Christian Faith in Church and Government. Uh, we are about to commence Chapter 12, entitled, A Conflagration of Cults, The Spiritual War Over Your Soul. There is a war being waged over your soul, dear reader. This war began long ago in heaven, started by Satan's first attempt at mutiny against God, and has been ongoing since that time. It is a spiritual war, and your heart, mind, and soul are the spoils of it. The most precious targets of a battle that you cannot afford to let Satan win if you care about your eternal security. Make no mistake, this battle is real, and you are the highly sought-after prize of this spiritually militarized campaign waged by Satan against God. The beginning of this war is clearly stated in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, which states, quote, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, unquote. This scripture clearly states that Satan was cast out of heaven, as were the angels that sided with him in his attempt to rebel against God and take control. This passage also plainly indicates that God cast him out of heaven and into the earth, where he, Satan, would attempt to deceive the whole world. Satan has remained dedicated to his mission of deceiving the whole world, as you have hopefully come to realize through the reading of this book. It is specifically because of Satan's excommunication from God that his wrath is focused on us. Satan is angry that God has broken off fellowship with him. He is also angry that God actively seeks fellowship with us. And he will do anything he can to blind you from knowing that you can have deep, intimate fellowship with God, which he can no longer have because of his prideful rebellion against God long ago. This is why Satan hates us so much and will stop at nothing to ruin your chance of having a relationship with God. Since this war, this conflict, is spiritual in nature, Satan has to employ spiritual deception in order to win this unwinnable war that he is waging. Certainly, Satan has had his victories, but his ultimate end is in God's hands, and Satan will ultimately be defeated, as we read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, which states, quote, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever 
and ever, unquote. Satan's demise is certain, but unfortunately, there will be casualties of this war. The intent of the Judas epidemic has been to alert you to the deceptive spiritual minefields that Satan has used and is still using in this war and to show you how to recognize them and avoid becoming a casualty of this war. One of the oldest military tactics used in the history of warfare is the use of conflagration. There have been countless wars waged and won through the use of this tactic. Conflagration, simply stated, is the use of fire to burn anything and everything, to use a wildfire burning out of control to totally decimate the enemy. As you know full well, the lighting of one simple match can start a conflagration of unimaginable proportions. Satan lit that one simple match long ago in the Garden of Eden when he planted the idea in the minds of humans that we could be like God. That one simple match started a conflagration that has been raging out of control and is gaining unprecedented momentum in every corner of the planet as we see the proliferation on a massive scale of spiritually deceptive thought form of every conceivable kind. The appearance of cults is occurring with a frequency that is truly mind-boggling. You may ask, well, what exactly is a cult? And that's a very good question. From a secular standpoint, a cult is defined as a group of people that swear blind allegiance to a particular person or ideal. However, from a Christian standpoint, a cult is a group of people that adhere to any particular religious view or thought form that does not agree with the orthodox Christian doctrines, namely the five core Christian doctrines of the faith, which are, as mentioned in chapter one of this book, the Trinity, the person of Jesus Christ, the second coming, salvation, and the Bible, as well as the doctrines of justification, sanctification, and redemption. The number of cults that deviate from basic Christian doctrine is staggering. There are reports that state that nearly 50 million Americans are involved in some form of occult practice. That is quite a number, isn't it? There are surveys that have been done that indicate that nearly 40 million Americans rely heavily on the reading of their horoscopes every day to tell them what to do or how to act on any particular day. It truly is amazing to see what vast numbers of the population are being deceived by Satan's lies, but it is happening, and these numbers are increasing rapidly. Many of these cults claim to be Christian, but they are truly not. They espouse mainly Eastern mystical occult beliefs, such as the inner divinity of man, etc., and they dress it up as Christian by using Christian terminology to disguise the extreme non-Christianness of all of it. Very deceptive, uh, very deceptive practice, if you ask me. But of course, what should we expect from Satan, the greatest liar of all time in history? There are a plethora of these pseudo-Christian cults, 
too many to number in this chapter, but we need to look at a few of the more predominant of these cults and explain why they are deviant and definitely not Christian. I am certain that you will recognize these false heretical cults as they are very high-profile entities in today's culture. I will show you some of the more blatant heresies contained within these cultic belief systems, but will address each one fully in upcoming books that I plan to write. But for now, let's look at Mormonism. Mormonism, also known as the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, or LDS, is a deeply heretical, non-Christian belief system that teaches, one, God was first a mortal man that lived on a planet much like Earth, but he became a God later. The rebuttal for that is found in Genesis chapter 1, 1 and John chapter 1, verse 1 of the Bible. Two, there are many gods, which is pantheism, and that men may become gods by obedience to the Mormon gospel. Three, Jesus was conceived by Mary as the result of God having had sexual, physical intercourse with her. This is the Mormon refutation of the virgin birth of Christianity. Four, Jesus was married and had many wives as a polygamist, and had many children, of which their founder, Joseph Smith, was a descendant. And five, Moroni, an angel of light, gave the true scriptures to Joseph Smith. Therefore, the Bible is not accurate. You see, Mormonism attacks every basic Christian doctrine, and therefore, it is not Christian. Despite the claims of the LDS that they believe in Jesus Christ, they do not believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible, God's holy word. They believe in Joseph Smith's version of Jesus Christ, which is a total perversion of God's account of his own son presented in the Bible. In short, Mormonism is very anti-Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, or the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, is another one of these pseudo-Christian belief systems. They teach that the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is false, that Jehovah God is the only God and is singular in nature. They teach that Jesus Christ was God's first creation and therefore not a part of Jehovah God. This argues against the Christian doctrine of Jesus as part of the Trinity also. They teach that the Bible is their final authority, but they have their own translation of the scriptures called the New World Translation, published in 1961, which reflects, quote, the binding interpretations of their leadership, unquote. This definitely places their own interpretation of the Bible as their source of authority and not the Bible itself. They teach that the members of the actual spiritual body of Christ only numbers 144,000, that they are all deceased and are in heaven with Jesus and have been since 1918. They believe that anyone born after 1936 cannot possibly be included in the body of Christ. They believe that most of Jehovah's faithful can only hope to be worthy enough to inherit the earth, but will never see Jesus. 
They teach that the soul cannot exist apart from the physical body. They teach that the resurrection of Jesus is a false teaching. They teach that Jehovah God destroyed the physical body of Jesus, and therefore his physical resurrection was impossible. They teach that salvation is based solely upon your level of dedication to your earthly mission or what you do while here on earth. This is clearly salvation by works, which is clearly not a true Christian doctrine. In Christianity, salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by anything you can do on earth. As you can see, there is another this is another heretical false belief system that is in no way based upon any semblance of Christian doctrine, although it claims to be Christian. Also, an interesting note, Christian doctrine has remained the same for centuries, but the Jehovah's Witnesses have changed their official name several times, and between the years 1917 and 1928, they changed their doctrines a total of 148 times. Not very consistent or authoritative, is it? Who can believe it if it changes so often? Well, I guess some can, can't they? Roman Catholicism. Uh, now, I know that including the Catholic Church may not make me a real popular guy. But the truth should be told nonetheless. Because of the size of the Catholic Church and the unprecedented scope of its influence, many fundamentalist Christians are reticent to be too harsh in their criticisms of Catholic doctrine, even though they should be, because of the extent and magnitude of the lies that the Catholic Church has propagated against billions of people. The fact that the Catholic Church has done this over the many centuries of its existence under the guise of Christianity makes it all the more repugnant. The magnitude of the deception of Catholic doctrine is immense, and it would take a whole book to fully explain it, so we'll just examine a few of the most heretical of its doctrines. The Catholic Church teaches that there are seven sacraments that you must take part in or receive in order for you to be saved. Those sacraments are as follows. The sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, the Sacrament of Confirmation, Sacrament of Matrimony, Sacrament of Holy Orders, and Sacrament of the Anointing of the Sick. Already you can see that Catholic doctrine is a works-based doctrine of salvation that is totally different than what the Bible teaches. They teach that the forgiveness of sins comes through confession of sins to a priest and then the performance of penance. Again, a works-based doctrine incompatible with true Christian doctrine. See Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. They teach that the bread and wine used in the sacrament of the Eucharist, communion, become the actual physical body and blood of Christ. This is called the doctrine of transubstantiation. 
If this doctrine is true, then it makes each and every one who participates in it a cannibalistic heathen. Catholics teach that the priest is so powerful that he can literally pull Jesus out of heaven and make him materialize in the form of a wafer and some wine. True Christian doctrine is that the bread and the wine used in communion are only symbolic of the flesh and blood of Christ. Incidentally, on the wafer that is used in Catholic Eucharistic ceremonies, there is an imprint of three capital letters, I, H, and S. What do these letters stand for? Isis, Horus, and Seb, three ancient Egyptian mystical deities. And what do they have to do with Christianity? Nothing. They were part of a very non-Christian ancient pagan religion that had no belief in Christ. Yet, here they are, being represented in a supposedly Christian ritual by the Catholic Church. They teach that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a deity or a god who is to be worshipped and prayed to. This doctrine is in direct contravention with the Bible and true Christian doctrine. The Catholic Church calls her a, quote, co-redemptrix, unquote, having equal redeeming powers with Jesus Christ, which is stated nowhere in the Bible. They teach that the Pope is God's only representative on earth and that he is infallible or perfect. Here we see man elevating himself to the status of God again, don't we? There could be nothing more heretical than that. I could go on and on about the false Catholic doctrines of confession and purgatory, limbo, and a host of other lies, but I will address all of these in a later book, and I promise you it will be an exhaustive study. But, dear Christian, isn't it obvious that the Catholic Church is not teaching Christian doctrine? Yet, they've called themselves Christian for centuries, even though their belief system is filled with esoteric, ancient Eastern mystical occult thought. Dear Christian, please... Do not be deceived. Now, we have reviewed just three of the most high-profile pseudo-Christian cults of our time, but there are so many more. There are cults that have Oriental origins, such as Buddhism, Hinduism, and Taoism, to name a few. For your benefit, I would like to list some, some more that can be classified as cults or cultic in nature. Many of these are comprised of a Western materialistic culture combined with Eastern occult thought form or beliefs. This is not an all-inclusive list, but quite extensive nonetheless. And they are the Assemblies of Yahweh, Atheism, Baha'i, Calvinism, Chrislam, Christadelphianism, Christian Science, Eastern Lightning, the Emergent Church, Freemasonry, International House of Prayer, Islam, Kabbalah, the New Age Movement, Oneness Pentecostal, Open Theism, the Raelians, Relativism, Swedenborgianism,
the Third Day Church, the Unification Church, Universalism, the Way International, and Wicca. Isn't it completely obvious that Satan is very busy twisting, distorting, and perverting the gospel of Christ? This is indeed a conflagration, a wildfire of perversion burning out of control. Satan's war for your soul is an intense one, and he will stop at nothing to facilitate his agenda. Let me remind you, dear Christian brother or sister, of what the Bible tells us about this spiritual warfare that is going on all around us. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, it says, quote, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, unquote. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, quote, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, unquote. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 3 and 4, it says, quote, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, unquote. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, quote, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, unquote. As you can see, the Bible is replete with warnings about the very things that you've been reading about in the pages of this book. Our great and magnificent God, in all his wonderful mercy, gives us the battle gear with which to fight the spiritual warfare against Satan and his lies. The following passage of scripture is one of the most beautiful and important scriptures in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Quote, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Unquote. I thank God for this heavenly equipment list. In it, we as Christians have all the spiritual tools we need in order to battle Satan in this most spiritual warfare. All we need to do is utilize the tools that God has given us, and we can repel any satanic attack. Dear Christian, do you know someone who has fallen prey to the lies that you've learned about in this book? Do you know a church that has fallen prey to any or all of the heresies and apostasies detailed in the pages of this book? If so, it is your Christian duty 
to speak boldly about it in order to save some from this conflagration of lying cults, this arsenal of spiritual lies that Satan is constantly catapulting at us. That is what I've been trying to do by writing this book, and I pray that it has been helpful to you. If this book is helpful in pulling just one person from the conflagration, I will consider it a success. Thank you for reading The Judas Epidemic, and may God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our half-hour session. Uh, there are two more chapters and an afterword uh, to The Judas Epidemic. And we will begin reading chapter 13 when we come back. Chapter 13 is entitled, Jesus Saves, An Invitation to Salvation. Please, please tune in with me in the next half hour as we read this most important chapter. See you soon.